getting ready to discuss yet another final Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome, one and all, to episode 402 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by English Dan. Good evening. And Santi. Hi. And as promised last week, if Argentina get to the final, we're going to record this week, and Argentina are in the final of the 2021 Copa America. It will be played the day before the final of Euro 2020 in this bizarre time warp that we seem to have slipped through over the last year or so. Um, Argentina beat... God, I've already forgotten who they beat in the quarterfinal. (laughs) Was it Ecuador? It was Ecuador, Sam. Thank you. I didn't forget that. I just didn't trust my own memory. Uh, Beat Ecuador in the quarterfinal and then got past Colombia in a shootout kicks from the penalty spot in the semi-final. Um, and we will discuss those in, well, just a minute. And I'll just go through the other results for the Copa America as well that have happened since we last recorded, the other quarters and, and the other semi. But of course, you all know who they're playing in the semi. If you're listening to this, I suspect that everyone's already aware. Uh, the other quarterfinals went Peru 3, Paraguay 3 in an absolute thriller that it was a privilege to commentate on before Peru won the shootout and then Brazil won Chile nil Uruguay nil Colombia nil Colombia as you will have surmised from the fact that I just mentioned that uh, they lost to Argentina in a shootout in the semi got through that one in the shootout and Argentina three Ecuador nil the semi-finals were played in binary Brazil beat Peru one nil Argentina and Colombia drew 1-1 and then Argentina won that shootout to set up a final on Saturday in the Maracanã against Brazil. Of course, it's my duty to remind you um, that Colombia played Peru in the third place playoff at 9pm Argentine and Brazilian time on Friday night. I hear that the commentator for that one is going to be a really well-versed and an excellent commentator, so do tune in to, to join me for it. Uh, but we're not going to spend an awful lot of time talking about the third-place playoff tonight, I don't think. Uh, gents, what were your impressions? Let's, I mean, as I've said already, we'll review the other matches as well, but let's let's start off with Argentina and let's take it through from the quarterfinal, first of all. Um, but also first with the, the, the general observation that this is a team who seemed to have sort of grown uh, through the tournament. Right, they've definitely got the heckling down. I mean, you can't say anything else than that. Um, we've all had a lot of fun these last couple of days looking at the various video clips of Emi Martinez, Messi, Lautaro, Paredes, and a few other guys just basically taking the piss or putting off the Colombia players, which I think was deserved after a match. Which, in kind of, the, I think, the kindest way you could label it was 
brutal, absolutely brutal as over the 90 minutes. Um, I saw the other day, I believe uh, the final tally was 47 fouls in 90 minutes, um, which broke down at 27 Colombia, 20 Argentina. So I think that gives you a fairly decent um, idea of what the game was. And, and the Ecuador game was fairly similar as well. Just very physical, very bitty, a lot of interruptions, a lot of uh, kind of tetchy clashes off the ball. Um, uh, Colombia were fairly fortunate or very fortunate probably to to be able to get to the end of the 90 minutes was still with 11 men on the field. There were a, a few challenges which uh, went unpunished even outside of those um, 27 fouls, including a quite nasty uh, rake of Messi's sacred ankle by Frank Fabra, which I think if Argentina had lost, probably would have spelled the end of his Boca career. I don't know if they let he'd be allowed back in the country. Um, but, you know, Argentina did exactly what they've done for every game this winter. Uh, I feel like I'm just repeating myself over and over. They went ahead very early again. Uh, eight minutes, I believe, this time. Uh, Messi playing in Lautaro Martinez and Lautaro this time. Not and uh, not every time in, in the game, as I'm sure we'll mention, um, made no mistake. Then uh, they sat back again, just let uh, Colombia gain confidence and, and start getting at them. When I thought if they just kept pushing, the game really could have been out of sight by by half time because Colombia were very very poor in the in the first half. After the break, it was all Luis Diaz, right? What a player! He gave Gonzalo Montiel a nightmare down the. Um, Argentina's right, Colombia's left, and sort of confirmed why I've always really kind of had questions about Mundial. I mean, he's I think he's good enough for River, but probably not international class. And, you know, maybe one day he'll get there, but he's not really there at the moment. Um, but aside from Mundial, all of Argentina's defence, once again, Mr. Cristian Romero, I think him coming back in time, is going to be absolutely vital to have a chance against Brazil. So uh, let's all light a candle and say a few prayers for that. Um, and then late on, you know, the much maligned by me, Angel Di Maria really switched the game back in in tempo when he came on with about 20 minutes left. And Argentina could have won it at the end. Um, they missed a couple of very decent chances, including the beloved Lautaro, really should have found a way to get get by uh, Wilma Barrios in the line. But, yeah, in penalties, Emi Martinez just writing himself into Argentine folklore with both his saves and his trash talk. So, at the, in the end, it was it was epic. The, the team really came together. And you think possibly even kind of going through like that is going to give you even more confidence um, going into the fighting, you know, just a try and put a rather forced polish on on what was uh, a fairly narrow escape for Argentina. So all in all, um, they're in the final. This is uh, the game we've all been waiting for and um, we're going to see how it turns out. Yeah, Santi had a very good stat, didn't you, about Emi Martinez in the shootout? Yeah, uh, he basically became the first ever... Argentine in the national team history to 
recalled three penalty saves in a single shootout, which, I mean, if you if you go back to like the the great uh, Argentine goalkeeper performances in shootouts, you know, Goicochea against Italy and Yugoslavia, uh, Romero against uh, against the Netherlands, and you think that Emi Martinez managed more saves than any of them. It really, it really goes to show just how big that achievement was, and how I would say that no matter what happens uh, on Saturday, that um, I think ten years into the future we will we will all be talking about where we were in that time at that time during that moment because I think it just became an icon for for the national team, which is. Uh, such a huge, uh, such a huge achievement for for someone who literally made his uh, his international debut last month. Um, although, to be quite honest, he should have made it much, much earlier in his in his career than now. But uh, still, to be just uh, to take hold of the number one spot so quickly and so firmly, and to just be etched into the folklore of of Argentine goalkeepers, uh, it's. It's just massive, and it's gonna be such a such a big boost of a, or such a big emotional uh, boost. I I think before before the final, uh, and it's gonna be crucial to be honest because I, I I expect Argentina to be you know put in danger to say the least. Yeah, I guess that's a nice segue into talking about how Brazil have played uh, through the tournament. They probably haven't been as convincing I don't think as as they were two years ago um but they do still look if not head and shoulders then at least head above um anybody else in the tournament for me um mostly because you know they, they get in front and apart from that final group stage game against Ecuador when Brazil didn't really care what was going on and Ecuador were playing out of their lives to try and get a result which would lift them above Venezuela uh, and into the knockout stage, um, they they just are very very good at getting the lead and then just keeping their opponents at arm's length. So even though in the knockout stage the results that they've had have both been one nil wins against Chile, went down to ten men um, for most of the second half, and against Peru, uh, that is Brazil, were down to ten men for most of the second half against Chile. Just to be clear. Um, even though they were only 1-0, and it looks like you, you might wonder, oh, well, you know, the, the goal's drying up a little bit. You've still got to score against them. And and that's not easy at all, is it? Um, no, no, absolutely. Um, I think the clearest uh, evaluation you can make of Brazil as a team is not kind of looking necessarily over the entire 90 minutes with uh, with Peru especially, but the the first 40 or so, I think it was, before before they scored their goal, because it was so one-sided. Uh, Peru literally, you know, they're a team that like to throw their weight about, get their kicks in, and they couldn't even get close enough to Brazil to, to foul them. It was uh, it was quite extraordinary. And um, it was only thanks to Pedro Galesi in, in the Peru net that Brazil didn't have about seven by the time Brazil scored their first. And, and you know, right after the goal went in, they do... Well, they always do under under Titem, which is close ranks, not in kind of the kamikaze, let's just give away the ball and see what happens style of Scaloni, but much more measured, um, you know, going forward, but making sure that as soon as they lose the ball 
eight men are are already retreating towards um, their own half, and and the other two are, are pushing the um, the player in possession. It's just a very structured, very well organised team with with uh, precious few weak spots. I think um, if you look at the team, possibly. Only the uh, the fullbacks. I mean, Danilo, Renan, Lodi are, are decent enough players, but they're not exactly Marcelo and, and Dani Alves. Uh, so maybe you have some scope to, to explore there as the opposition team. But apart from that, uh, I mean, let's be honest. You look at the two the two teams, Brazil and Argentina. How many Argentina players are getting into that Brazil team? Messi. Well, I, I was the midfielders. I would say. You reckon I mean, ahead of Casemiro? Mm. I mean, not Casemiro, not Casemiro, but maybe, maybe there would be one uh, some space for for Paredes and Luchelso. I would say. But I'm I talking was... in the Brazil formation. You know, with the the two defensive midfielders, you, I mean, you wouldn't rather have, I think, Paredes or Guido Rodriguez ahead of either of the other two that uh, that accompany Casemiro. I think, like. It's a tough I would, one. I would have, I would I may, have Rodrigo de Paul, I'd say. If I may, I was going to say uh, that the next thing I was going to suggest actually was, was combined 11s for these teams. And part of the reason, while you two scrabble around now, because I've just sprung this on you <laughs> at the last second to try and think of yours, is that I, uh, in a forum post that, that I, I wrote on, on a football forum I post on last night, I, I drew up a combined 11 for me. Um, and I've actually got, I mean, I think there are conversations that can be had in various places, but the reason I drew it up was kind of to prove a point because I've got, based on performances in during this tournament rather than overall, I've got Martinez in goal. Um, I've got a back four from right to left of Danilo, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva. And I think I'm going to go for Tagliafico over Genan Lodi just for the extra little bit of defensive solidity mm. that he gives. Midfield, I've gone with... A four-two-three-one. So the midfield, I've gone with Casemiro because, I mean, as you say, Dan, he's he's clearly a far better holder than really anybody else in the competition, and certainly anybody you know out and out holding midfielder in the Argentina squad. But I've gone for Lo Celso alongside him, and then I've got a three of Messi, Lucas Paqueta, and Neymar behind Lautaro Martinez. Now I think that there are conversations that you can have in most of the positions on the pitch. Um, but the there are four names there that I really I don't think that there's any argument about. You know these these players would be in the combined eleven for these teams. One of them is Argentine, Messi, obviously, and the other yeah. three are all Brazilian. It's Neymar and the two centre backs. I, I think if you've got those four, then you can build with, with the two squads available. You can build yeah, a fantastic I mean, team around them either way. Yeah. But the fact that Brazil have got three of those, you know, indisputables, if if you happen to agree with my assessment, of course, which you don't have to, um, and Argentina have only got one, is really why I am getting a sense that, uh, you know, maybe we've read this book before when it comes to Argentina reaching the final of a major tournament in this last, uh, in the history of Handapod. Yeah, absolutely. And I was... I would yeah, have I, Casamiro as another undisputed one, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about Talia Figo because I don't know if he's even been Argentina's best left back at this uh, Copa America. But <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably agree with your lineup on on form at least. I think the only change I'll make to the lineup is the setup. Um, 
I mean, if you have Lochel, Soan, Paqueta, I think it'd be better if you, if they, if you went in a 4-3-3. Because, uh, I mean, these are like, uh, well, Paqueta, I would say he's kind of like a box-to-box uh, midfielder who can also, you know, link up pretty well with Neymar. And you can say almost the exact same thing about Lochel with Messi. Yeah, so, I'm, um, I'm happy to do that if you prefer to do that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's um, I think it's spot on. I think uh, Amy has had much more to deal with than, than Edison, which could also be tra- uh, extrapolated to the to their Premier League seasons, their respective Premier League seasons. Yeah, and, um, and that's that's the one thing, right, is that with the form that, that Emiliano Martinez has been in really for the last 12 months or so, you compare him with Ederson and you think, well, Ederson's got inarguably the better centre-back pairing, definitely the better settled centre-back pairing. You know, if you're talking about, well, if Cristian Romero can get back and, and fit in time for the final Argentina, their chances will be boosted quite a bit. But also Romero's, you know, been injured for the last couple of matches. Um, yeah, so but still, really uh, the... I mean... Uh, but Ederson, Ederson's got far more... Guti Romero is, like, improving the, the Argentine defence exponentially. Well, he is, as long, yes. as, he's, as long as he's able to play the 90 minutes. But Ederson's, or the 120 minutes, potentially, because, of course, there's extra time if it's all square after 90 minutes in the final. But Edison does have far more of a capacity to just perhaps chuck one into his own net. He nearly did it against Peru. There was one point when Mm. when Brazil, you know, for all of the keeping everybody at arm's length, Peru got a free kick on the left. It was swung in. Edison came for it and got nowhere near it. And Alexander Callens just headed not an awfully long way wide. It would have made it one more. I remember that, yeah. Like, what, 15 or so minutes to go? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I mean, personally, I think um, Argentina are the underdogs. They're quite clearly the underdogs, um, and it's not disparaging them to, to point it out. It's just a statement of fact. But I'll point to three factors, possibly, which you can cling to, um, and I certainly will, uh, to think that, you know, this this could be possible. Uh, an upset could happen. One is Messi, of course, absolute game changer on top of his game here in uh, in Brazil been absolutely fantastic and you can see you know from what happened with Colombia what happened in with Ecuador all, all through the group stage he he just wants this and he's really driven uh, to keep going the second factor for me is Emi who again like Messi has been absolutely brilliant uh, throughout the tournament and I think he might just have started to convince some of the, the ESPN commentators that he might be better than Armani. Maybe he needs to, to save a couple of penalties in the, in the Copa America final. I don't know, but maybe that, that's, um, that's in process now. And the third factor, I think that unlike the three finals that we've witnessed as a hand of pod collective with Argentina, um, Argentina this time have the big advantage which is that no one really expects them to win, right? Mm, yeah. We hope they'll win, but I mean, especially the two Copa America finals, everyone expected them to beat Chile. I think even in the World Cup, you know, it was just such a, a groundswell of support and, and hope playing next door, not, and Germany not having done particularly a great deal, uh, aside from, of course, that 7 1 in the, in the semi final, I think. There was that feeling that it was 50-50 
uh, going in and Argentina could win this one. And this one, I feel, especially with the players, like the big achievement, they feel like, you know, what they had to do was was get to the final. Uh, that's why, you know, you saw the joy after the Colombia game. Now, you know, most of the pressure is off. They can play the game. Uh, they got nothing to lose because, you know, probably 80% of observers think, ah, oh, it's Brazil, it's, it's going to be too much. And and if you talk about pressure, expectation, I think it's all on Brazil's side and and that can only be a good thing for Argentina. Yeah, it's argue exactly the same thing. Uh, that The fact that uh, Argentina are uh, heading into this final as underdogs, it's actually the best possible thing that could happen to us in the sense that um, Brazil just had so much at stake in this final. Uh, the fact that they're playing, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've, they've had this Copa America hosted in their own country, snatching the snatching the, the organization rights, the hosting rights from Argentina. Um, the fact that they have also had some, you know, controversial calls, let's say, uh, in their favor. Uh, the fact that um, they're even going to... The, the referee, actually, of this game is going to be uh, the fourth official from the controversial 2019 semifinals. Which uh, I mean, it's already raising some some eyebrows, I would say, among uh, the Argentina camp, to say the least. Uh, but but yeah, I would just imagine how uh, humiliating would be for Brazil to lose uh, to this. I won't say out of sorts because it's not, but it's uh, it's definitely not the same level of you know sheer quality uh, on paper that the, for example, the 2014 squad. Uh, Under construction, we could say, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at home, uh, at the Maracana. Um, I mean, Brazil just have so much to lose, and Argentina can easily do that uh, Do that for them. Uh, they also have a... They also might feel they have a kind of the press against them. Uh, they even reflected that when they chanted uh, something along the lines of, I don't care what those fucking journalists motherfuckers say. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the at the end of the Colombia game, so and well, Scaloni has also had had to you know rise against you know critics, uh, the people who still bang on about his lack of experience three years after his uh, his appointment. So I think they just uh, just have so much going against them that uh, they have had so much going against them that uh, playing this final as as the as the underdogs going from. They could in 2014 to they should in 2015 16 to they might this year. This could this could work for them. This they should use this in their favor. That's a bit of a bucket of cold water on this optimism. I'll just run down. Well, we're going to go into some more detail in terms of the history and the head to heads and um and, and various other stats stuff in Hand of Pod Extra for our Patreon supporters. And if you want to get on board with that, of course, you can go to patreon.com slash Hand of Pod. Um, but I'll just run through a couple of, of points to uh, counteract some of the optimism. But then I'd, I'd like us to sort of discuss as well some of the questions that haven't really been asked of, of Argentina and haven't been asked of Brazil yet in this Copa America and consider whether they, they might be asked uh, you know, of certain players or of certain positions or 
or tactical situations um, on Saturday, given that for both teams, it's going to be, you know, by definition, almost they're going to be facing the best team that they will have faced in the, in the tournament. Um, Brazil, Brazil's last competitive defeat. Neither of you remember when that was? Belgium in the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, just so just to be clear, I'm not counting. Wikipedia does, but I'm not counting the Super Clásico de las Américas uh, as a competitive match. Uh, they they beat Argentina in that anyway, but Argentina won that in 2017. Uh, but their last competitive defeat was in the 2018 World Cup to Belgium, as Santi says. Since then, they have played 18 competitive matches. They've drawn 15. No, they haven't. They've won 15 and they've drawn three. When was their last competitive or friendly defeat in Brazil? Argentina. Oh, yeah, of course, with the uh, Super Classico de las Americas. I was forgetting that one. Yeah. Other than M- that Messi, one. Messi missed the penalty and then he scored the rebound, I remember. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was a 1 0. Um, other than that, though, the, the last competitive one, then not counting friendlies slash Super Classicos de la, las Americas, it was the third place playoff at the 2014 World Cup. Um, and they haven't lost a competitive game against another Conmebol country since Peru beat them in the last group game of the 2016 Copa Centenario. Ah, yeah. Of course, which was uh, really, really controversial. Yeah. It was really controversial the game because I think Peru scored a, scored a goal with their hand. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Was it Carrillo? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, it was suspended the other day, funnily enough. And, you know, you never know. It might yeah. have made a difference. <laughs> Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing him back in action for the third place playoff yeah, tomorrow. He, he, could, he couldn't give them a hand, you know. He couldn't give them a hand. No, indeed. Very well done. <laughs> Argentina's last win against Brazil in a competitive match. I'm sure you can both remember this one. Uh, 2005? Actually, I was going to, yeah, maybe Santa, you, you're, too, you're too young to remember it. <laughs> Dude, this was like one of the, one of the earliest uh, Argentina games I've ever watched. And <laughs> I mean, it's been etched in my memory for forever man that that Riquelme goal come on man yeah it was fantastic it was incredible Riquelme with a screamer and two goals from Hernan Crespo for a 3-1 win in Buenos Aires in 2005 um and yeah in Brazil other than that Super Clásico de las Américas Argentina haven't won against Brazil since April 1998 so you're saying it's a chance I mean, the runs have to come to an end at some point as well, yeah. right? But then you start looking at yeah. Brazil's record in the Copa America in Brazil, and it just gets even scarier. We will go into more detail in that in in Hundred yeah, Pod they, they never, they but, never um, lost. They never lost the Copa America. They they hosted. No, well, and as as we'll talk about in a little bit more detail later on Hundred Pod Extra, they've lost two matches full stop in the Copa America in their own country. Um, neither of which obviously ended up preventing them from winning the copper um so yeah it's it's a very big ask and there's also the political situation i don't like to sound like a conspiracy theorist and we don't want to talk about this too much but there is the point that seba has been raising ever since the the uh hosting changed from colombia and argentina to just argentina and then to brazil when the argentine government's uh reluctance to lower restrictions to allow the tournament to take place here became too much of an issue a couple of weeks before it kicked off is that with Jair Bolsonaro effectively having saved the Copa America for Conmebol are they going to allow Argentina to win like even if Brazil didn't have this terrifying record as hosts 
Well, Bolsonaro's already told us the score. I don't know if you saw that today, Sam. I haven't, no. He was in a a Mercosur summit with Alberto Fernandes, the Argentine president, and he told him that uh, Brazil were going to win 5-0. So, not even worth watching, really. And and I'd say that uh, the the referees uh, they chose for the game were just uh, an exercise in trying uh, not to leave anything to chance. (laughs) You know? We'll see, like... At the end of the day, referee, no referees. All you can do is go on the pitch, try and win. And I mean, yeah. I, I've never yeah, been as convinced not, not, as... Try to not depend on refereeing calls, you know. Exactly, yeah. I've never been as convinced as Seva, bless his cut and socks, about the uh, yeah, the whole conspiracy side of the game. But I don't know, con- talk to me on Saturday and see what I It's like. conjecture, yeah. After all, it's all conjecture, but... but uh, the thing is, uh, Argentina have uh, their own reasons to feel hard done by. Um, you have, of course, uh, Scaloni and Messi's uh, infamous press conferences after that uh, 2019 game. And uh, the fact that uh, the Brazil gained hosting rights apparently was, um, well, felt, uh, was not exactly good news for, for the Argentina camp back when it was announced. And they... Uh, but they still decided they were going to play the Copa America anyway, uh, unlike the Brazil squad for a brief moment when they almost, almost opposed to to playing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the the decision was to keep playing and try to overcome them by playing football. And I think that is exactly what they should do. And uh, 50% of the job is done. Now there's the, the other 50, which is, you know, a big ask. Yeah, that's. I think that's a nice summary. Actually, fifty percent is getting to this point, and fifty percent is this one final match, um, and it, it, it's it's going to take a hell of an effort. Uh, some of it, you know, the the psychological weight in a way, it's, it's going to be good that maybe there are one or two of the players, or is it two or three of the players, Messi, Aguero, Di Maria, Otamendi as well. Um, who've who've suffered those you know previous disappointments? They've got that experience, and they'll have the determination to try and overcome it. But equally, the the majority of the players in the squad are going to be young and hungry, and feel that they've got a point of their own to prove. Um, and it was interesting. What was it, Santi? You said a few minutes ago about how on paper this maybe isn't as good a team as as the team in 2014 or 2015. Because uh, I was kind of reminded. <laughs> not to shoehorn this in too much, but um, of the comparisons, you know, the obvious comparison watching yesterday's England game between them and basically every other England team I can remember watching, but in particular, the golden generation, so-called yeah, six. of English football, um, where A, they wouldn't have been in the semi-final to start with. Okay, we can all agree that. But B, if they had been, or if they had been in a quarter-final or something and Denmark had scored that free kick, they would have gone completely to pieces. You know, the reaction from the team would have been, I suspect, would have been Beckham running around for the rest of the match, trying to do everybody's job for them and desperately trying to pick his teammates up and get them to stop moping. And everybody else just heads go completely. Um, I must say, And in in that respect, this... this, Go on. I must say, I'm impressed you you had up 40 minutes before bringing up England. (laughs) I expected expected a much earlier reference, to be honest. 
Well, we're thirty minutes in, not forty. But um, yeah, ah, no, I don't, I, I don't want to dwell on it. But I mean, I, I just I, when Santi mentioned it, I found it an interesting yeah. sort of parallel because uh, you could say that on paper, you know, that England team had the bigger names um, yeah. than than a lot of the guys who who make up the side now. I mean, obviously, it seems that way to me because at the time I lived in England, and now I haven't lived in England for I mean, over ten they years. They might be better players. Heard of some of them. But collectively, be better, but it's not a better team, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, the psychology is better, um, and they, yeah. they and they, they they play better as a group as well. You know, we we made the point when after the last Copa America, when Messi was suspended for those was it three matches or something afterwards for the the red card he got for being attacked by Gary Medel in the third place playoff. Um, I think the, it was three, but then the Argentina didn't play an official game for a whole year, and so it was only yeah. that Chile game, and that's it. Sorry about that. But but during what during that time, Scaloni took the opportunity to kind of bring the team together and to get them playing themselves as as a unit, which he was then able to sort of reinsert Messi back into. Um, I think and, that was after the twenty eighteen World Cup that Messi uh, maybe that, yeah, yeah, did, didn't the retire. They, he didn't retire, but he stepped away briefly That's from right. the national team. I knew it, and then Scaloni point. began to to try out a lot of new players. Which yeah, is how the, right the current base charge. of this World Cup uh, was formed, mm. of this and, Copa America was formed. And so you have Messi coming back in as, as like the seasoning, and, and he's sort of grown in importance for the group since coming back in. But you have a much more well-rounded group as a result. Um, and actually, I, I, I was looking while you were talking as well at some of the numbers from the Copa, in particular at the top players, because we've mentioned already Messi and we've mentioned Neymar as well. And I think it's fair to say that they're, you know, they're mainly competing with one another for the title of player of the tournament. Um, with an, a, you know, respectful nod to Dan's shout last week after the group stage has ended for Carlos Lampe um, in the Bolivia goal. Yeah, I think after the groups, you have to, you have to give way, really. Indeed. Um, yeah. But in t- one thing that I hadn't really clocked until just now is that in terms of goals, Argentina don't necessarily need to be too afraid because they've got the three well they've got the two outright top scorers in the tournament Messi has four Lautaro Martinez has three Alejandro Gomez has got two which is enough to put him joint third along with Neymar uh, Lucas Paqueta and various other players who obviously aren't still in the tournament Um, and then you know you look at the the assists and Messi I think is just out there on his own he's got basically twice five. as many as anyone else. Five. He's got five. Neymar's got three, so Messi's not got quite twice as many, but, you know, pretty much. Um, chances created, I think it's basically Messi and Neymar competing with one another there. Total shots per game, Messi's on 4.5, Neymar's on 4.4. Third place is Edinson Cavani with three. So they're way it's out in been, front It's there. been Messi and Neymar's Copa and uh, yeah, everyone absolutely. else is just playing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just wanted to make that point as well because, you know, a lot of people listening to this, maybe who don't listen to the pod all the time and aren't converted to, to the cause of Lionel Messi or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's very easy sometimes to think, especially if you don't have the opportunity to watch him for Argentina, uh, that, that there's, there's talk, you know, and that his reputation precedes him. And perhaps that's happened to an extent in, in some other... Um, in some other international competitions, although I personally I'm of the belief that he's never really let Argentina down in, in any sense and that he's played uh, excellently in, in a couple of international competitions. But this really is the best that I can remember him playing uh, 
for Argentina over this sort of extended period of time. I wonder whether some of it is because they had, rather than a couple of fairly meaningless warm-up matches, you had a couple of high-intensity World Cup qualifiers. Everybody's got to pull together right from the first moment. Um, but he really has been just superb. Uh, the the assist for Papel Gomez against, you know, admittedly against Bolivia in the group stage, but still was glorious. The The way that he set up uh, Martinez against Colombia the other day from controlling Lo Celso's pass as well, which was an excellent pass, but the way that it was the first touch and, and turns the defender all, all in one go uh, before laying it off was excellent. And the assist for whose goal was it? Was it Rodrigo de Paul against Ecuador yes. after the goalkeeper came out and got absolutely nowhere? I think basically any other player in the world gets a rush of blood to the head and tries to chip everybody, you know, all the defenders and everything from 30 yards or plus the angle or however far out it was. Messi somehow sees De Paul completely unmarked on the other side of the pitch and then threads the pass through the eye of a needle to find him for the much easier tapping. Um, yeah, but, uh, but that would be also the most logical thing to do, to, to just chip it, because, I mean, mm. Messi had no right to nail that pass. He had no right. There were a lot, a lot of legs in the middle. Yeah, sure, but if you chip it, you end up just putting it into the stands or it just it doesn't reach the goal. Nine times yeah, out of ten, but, at least. But there's still more chance to you know chip it and score than to nail that pass. I mean, honestly, it's incredible. Yeah, I think, I think what Santi's getting at is that like, if in a different parallel universe, Messi had just uh, pelted it towards goal and it hadn't gone in, like no one would be saying, ah, oh, where, where was the pass to the ball? Because no one saw it except for him. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, exactly. Which is also exactly. In fact, yeah. I think if that had happened, they would have called it back, right? Because it was a fairly blatant foul, foul on Nicolás González. But if we're playing kind of factual, I mean, true. Yeah. well, 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 I mean, if we, if we, the 2 0 against Paraguay wasn't given, I mean, you have to look at the level of refereeing in this Copa America. Well, yeah, it's that's... very pro, pro, it's a it's a very certain chance that the penalty will have been overlooked. We also had an overlooked penalty against Ecuador as well. They literally did not see it. Again, no. Was it Colombia or was it Ecuador? Colombia. Uh, ah, Otamendi when, was pulled oh, back absolutely blatantly. Exactly. And, and they oh, checked yeah. the penalty. Oh, and they checked the handball instead of that. Which is, I mean, I know mm. the, the VAR people are really, really slow, but come on, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's that's one advantage, at least, of the way that VAR is done from the broadcasting point of view in South America is that you know whether they're running the check or not because if the game stops about half a bloody hour and they're checking <laughs> and if it doesn't then that means they're not running the check um anyway on that note i think we will take a very quick break now and then when we come back as i mentioned earlier we'll we'll consider some of the questions that both teams are going to be asking of each other tactically um on saturday and of course we will also go through your listeners questions so don't go away Okay then, tactical conundrums or individual key battles on the pitch. Dan mentioned earlier, I think what's going to be one of the really big ones, which is going to be 
I mean, you mentioned it in, in the context of talking about Brazil's fullbacks and how they weren't exactly stellar. Uh, but from the discussion subsequently about Tagliafico or Acuna and how, you know, and, and Dan's opinion of Montiel, um, it's clear as well, or it should be if you haven't had the opportunity to watch any of the matches, that Argentina's fullbacks aren't exactly the most convincing either. And Luis Diaz, who, to be fair to him, has been one of the best attacking players in this Copa who's not called Lionel Messi or Neymar Junior, um, gave Argentina a torrid time down Argentina's right, Colombia's left, uh, in the semi-final, which, of course, is precisely the area of the pitch that Neymar operates in. Um, so one of the real key things, and it again becomes a key question as well if Cristiano Romero comes back, because he'll be the right-sided centre-back if he does, is going to be, can Argentina cope with... Neymar and what he has to offer. Is it too late to call up Ivan Bichud? This is my question. <laughs> <laughs> to, because to try and if you, force Neymar if you, to a wing back role, you mean, with his surging runs from deep? I mean, he did. You pretend he once had Neymar in his pocket. There was a game, I think it was a Supergrassi de las Americas in oh, 2011 yeah. or something like that, that and Bichud was all over him. And it was pretty much the high point of his career, given I've watched almost all of his career and suffered through almost all of his career. Um, it, I can confirm it was definitely the high point. Um, him or Gina Perusi, I think uh, it'll be an interesting late variant. Yeah, I mean, more seriously, it's, it's clearly going to be a problem area for, for Argentina. Um, if Romero does make it back on time, and I have a feeling he's going to play because... Uh, you know, not playing him in either the quarter or semi sort of hints towards the fact that, you know, they didn't want to risk him until a potential final, uh, which of course in itself is risky, but but just about paid off. I think he will make it. Uh, mind, uh, you, mind you, Dan, um, actually, uh, it, is, uh, it is thought that Atalanta are pretty into that situation and Albeit not as formal as the Di Maria letter from uh, 2014, apparently they're looking to sell him this summer. They have yeah, just, they, bought, just him. bought the. I was going to say, yeah, they bought the rest of his registration from Juventus, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah. So apparently they are looking to sell him, and that's why apparently they are pressing for Argentina to, you know, leave him alone. It's, that's why. It's, I'm not being funny, but it's a final against Brazil. They can absolutely go fuck themselves. I agree. Uh, I agree. If, if Argentina win any stars, they double his value overnight. So, so yeah, yeah and, uh, don't pay and, any attention uh, to that fake team that shouldn't even be in the Champions League. If you if you agree with Vagnelli, and I'm starting <laughs> to, I think if they're going to carry on with this nonsense. <laughs> well, you know what's Agnelli ever done or said that uh, would lead us to believe he'd be not the best person to listen to. Um, so. Who do you pick for Argentina at right back? Is it going to be Molina or is it going to be Montiel? Given that neither of them are exactly Javier Sanetti. No, it's got to be Molina. uh, Molina. He's got a much better, much better tournament than Montiel, even if uh, he's not uh, exactly, I mean, his defensive prowess is not exactly, you know, glowing. He still has so much to offer going forward. I mean, he. His uh, surges forward are much better than Montiel's. He combines better with uh, with Messi and with the ball. 
Um, I don't think he will do that all that much, perhaps, because of uh, how Argentina sets up. But I think he will be crucial. No, I mean, you think the most logical um, solution Argentina would have, uh, you know, to how Brazil play and, and plug in the gaps would be to put a more defensive or at least more defensively adept player in at right back and then at left back uh, play with uh, Cunha because I think uh, Danilo is a player who's very, very suspect um, at the back end. And I thought against Colombia as well, there were a lot of opportunities down that left wing where Taliafico, you know, for the solid player he is, I've got absolutely nothing against uh, Taliafico. If he just could, you know, had the ability to push forward a bit more and had a yard more pace, Argentina really could have taken advantage. So I would say, you know, Molina and Acuna would, would be my fullbacks for this game, which I think is probably... The, you know, the biggest tactical conundrum uh, Argentina faced because aside from maybe defensive midfield, the rest of the team at this uh, juncture pretty much picks itself. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe the other the other big uh, conundrum would be whether to uh, carry in with Nico Gonzalez and uh, uh, use his, uh, his defensive uh, contribution despite the fact that he's been misfiring a lot in attack or just go with uh, either Di Maria or Papu Gomez from the start. Which uh... I keep Nico in, to be honest, for precisely that. I think um, if you're going to get something like against Brazil, you have to pressure them out the back um, and force them to kind of give away the ball before they get in their rhythm. And and above those two players, Nico Gonzalez has shown that uh, he's very good at doing that, even if he makes you tear your hair out with uh, with those missed chances. Yeah, I agree, yeah, and I think, and I also think that Di Maria in this uh, in this uh, super sub role is uh, just doing so well that I wouldn't yes. want to just uh, burn him out for 60, 70 minutes. I would rather have him for the last half hour, twenty minutes of the game. Absolutely, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think in terms of finding Di Maria's place in the Argentina team, you know, we've all been for years reluctant to admit that he should even have had a place, but uh, he seems to have settled in quite nicely to it in this tournament for, you know, whatever reason and in whatever situation. And of course, if you bring him on with fresh legs towards the end or for the last half hour or whatever, if Argentina touched everything wooden I can find in the vicinity, if Argentina are leading, say, with half an hour, 20 minutes to go, bringing him on to lead the counter-attack um, is, is a great option to have, which you're effectively taking away if you put him in the starting lineup. Um, the other sort of big tactical decision which we've seen Scaloni go for in the semi-final against Colombia um, and I don't know how much of it was tactical and how much of it was was to do with fitness but it's bringing in Guido Rodriguez for Leandro Paredes um, against Colombia I'm not really sure it worked I think it was a little bit too reactive a little bit too cautious and uh, and that Argentina might have been better just sticking with the football they've been playing previously, having Paredes, who's, you know, plays in a similar position, but isn't as defensively minded and advances the ball a bit better. I think that they could have looked a bit more comfortable doing that against Colombia with him in the team. I think that depends on what approach uh, Scaloni decides to take specifically for this game, because, I mean... There's something really interesting, I would say, about both Argentina and Brazil is that they both set up 
they set out to do almost the same thing in, in, in every game. They try to overwhelm their, their rivals first. They try to go for it and use eat all of their energy in the first 20 minutes, half hour. They score and then they just give the ball away. And uh, well, I, I know Dan has said before that Brazil does this much better than Argentina, uh, which is true because, I mean, Brazil has a way better backline than us. But uh, it will be really, really interesting to see what who scores first and what happens or who takes the initiative first. Mm. So um, I would say that uh, given Brazil's uh, lack of, you know, defensive, uh, well, lack of marking perhaps, or lack of um, a- ability to just uh, uh, close out uh, on the wings, close out close of wingers and uh, wingers and uh, well of course Messi's ability I would try to go with Paredes because I think those first 20 minutes half hour will be really really important to say the fate of the game and uh, it is imperious for Argentina to score first like they have done in every single game in this Copa um, so in that in that case I would go for Paredes first and then try and uh, try and sub Guido in if they want to just uh you know, defend themselves like they, they do. I mean, if they're going to do that, I think that Guido Rodriguez is better suited for that setup, for that proposition. I agree. And I would add that it could be Paredes, it could be Guido Rodriguez, it could be Casamiro, it could be Kante. But if both your centre backs are going to play in the calamitous manner, uh, Pesela and Otamendi have played um, in the last couple of games, there's really not. Any defensive midfielder he can who can come to your rescue. No, indeed, um, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, I agree. I, I wonder to what extent Scaloni put Rodriguez in for the semi to see, you know, to have a look at him and see whether he thinks he could do something in the final. Because presumably, you know, shoring up the defense in some way is going to be something that uh, that he wants to look into. I've meant. I've seen just one or two journalists on the TV asking whether it might be worth going to a back three or well three at the back so a back five or a back three depending on how you want to refer to it uh, but three centre backs which if it feels awfully late in the tournament to to start messing around with that right I mean we're not talking about any great enormous changes in in formation for Argentina I don't think are we or or would either of you yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't see I that. think changing to three centre-backs just for the final would be one hell of a roll of the dice. Yeah, I mean, especially if, if Romero isn't fit, then you're changing to what? Petzela, Otamendi and uh, Martinez Cuarta, none of whom have exactly covered the glory. And almost by definition, you're taking somebody who's done better off the pitch elsewhere. In, mm. in, in the yeah, and actually, and actually, I think uh, uh, by setting up with a back three, you would be either... Um, dissolving the front three, which has been probably the best thing Argentina has had to offer or Copa, or dissolving the midfield, which is actually pretty balanced, I would say, with uh, with Lo Celso and the ball. I wouldn't like to, to just deactivate the two things that Argentina does best for the sake of defensive solidity. I think we just should play to our strengths. Yeah, and, and just for the sake of clarity as well, because we discussed how Casemiro... Is probably the most uh, of the two teams. He he's the midfielder who is the clearest, the best at what he does. 
Um, that's not to say that I don't think Argentina can go toe-to-toe with Brazil in midfield, because I think overall the balance of Argentina's midfield uh, is is just as strong as, as Brazil's. I'm not going to say stronger, um, but I, I, it really does come down to those centre-backs. You know, that, that's, that's the area that you just keep looking at and thinking, Brazil have got Marquinhos and Thiago Silva at centre-back. And it's and as if... And Militao on the bench. Yeah, well. I mean, it is as if that centre-back pairing are playing, you know, in a different tournament to every other centre-back pairing in the competition, almost. In spite of which, they're, you know, they're not unbreachable, uh, particularly when you've got Argentina's attack. Um, and so that's another question that's going to be asked is, are they that much stronger? I mean, obviously they are a stronger centre-back pairing than, than Argentina's centre-back pairing, but are they that much stronger than anyone else Argentina have faced? Or is it just that they haven't yet face an attack as strong as Argentina's as well. Uh, you know, both of those statements are true, but where's the balance between them, as it were? Yeah, I mean, depends on how uh, strong you think a centre-back of uh, Godin and Jimenez or Mina and Davinson Sanchez is in 2021. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Godin and Jimenez were, were the pairing that, that immediately come to mind, but Godin's 34, yeah, but, 35 and they've not been now, so. And they've not been good. They've not been good at all against no. Argentina. They were, they were completely torn apart. That's why I said in 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just kind of, it, it, it's that thing, isn't it? That, that, that's the one area where, where Brazil really have been head and shoulders above any of the other teams. And yet it's also the one area where you think Argentina, if they can take anybody on, then Argentina's attack can take on a genuinely brilliant defence. And of course, just behind them, is where you have the opposite situation. As we mentioned during the first half of the podcast, I'm quite comfortable saying that Emiliano Martinez is a more reliable goalkeeper than Ederson. And if you don't think he's, you know, undeniably, definitely a far stronger goalkeeper, he certainly seems like one who has less of a propensity to just do something ridiculous at some point in the match. Yeah, very solid. Uh, although he did have a wobble in against Colombia, where he almost got caught with the uh, with a ball at his feet, but it's very rare. I think that's really the only thing he's done even mildly wrong. Uh, yeah, something entire copper in him the games before. Very, very, uh, very solid. Very consistent. Actually, uh, something that I really liked uh, specifically about uh, Martinez's performance against Colombia in the ni- in the ninety minutes is that. Um, there was a time in which, uh, at the at first, he started to you know just play the ball to to his centre backs and uh, well, with Otamendi being not exactly good with the ball on his feet, he would just hoof it away uh, in every chance he could. And most of the time, it ended up in an offensive throw-in for for Colombia. So at one point, uh, Martinez, every time he got the ball, he just decided against uh, giving giving it to to any of his centre backs ever again. He's just. Uh, he hoofs it himself, but he does it in a, with, with a lot more uh, a lot more accuracy. I would say that than uh, than I, I remember even one of those uh, when at least one or two of those balls ended up in goal scoring opportunities for Argentina during this Copa. Yeah, sorry about that. I've got a mouthful of cake, but yes, Sandy, you make a very good point. Are there any other Shall we wait sort of individual swallow or? No, no, it's fine. I was going to ask: <laughs> Are there any other kind of individual battles that we're particularly look, particularly looking forward to seeing on Saturday? 
yeah, I'm not really, you know, confident about Neymar versus the right-hand side of defense. I mean, if Luis Diaz could do whatever he wanted with uh, both uh, Molina and Montiel, oh, man, it's going to be tough. I think uh, equally if uh, if Messi starts kind of in the centre slash right position he has been playing, I think he, he might have a little bit of fun uh, against Lodi and, and if Silva starts on that side of the of the fence, you know, what is he, 36, 37, there could be yeah, but it's still opportunity to get at him. Um, especially, I think, Silva with his back turned isn't the, the best defender. So, you know, Messi and Lautaro working kind of that access between... And Molina as that, well. Between um, Lodi and Silva. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of places. And I think the midfield... You know, the midfield battle is going to be absolutely key. I think uh, Lo Celso and De Paul in particular have, have been very good, very settled um, in this Copa America, and and I think they're gonna they're gonna want to take the game to to Casamiro and Fred slash Favinho, whichever of the two plays, and they're probably a little bit more creative, more mobile than those two, so they're going to try and you know again get the ball behind them. I think. That's going to be the key for Argentina, kind of not being cowed by this team, not just sitting back because that's generally been the downfall of all the teams who have um, who've played Brazil this Copa América and for a long time before. Um, and just try and play, you know, the the game that Argentina have been showing every time they've taken the field, at least for the first half or the first half hour. Um, you know, come flying out the blocks surprise Brazil a bit, show that they're not going to be um, penned into their own half. And, and who knows, you might you might get a goal or two. That's, um, and then, you know, brace yourself for the, for the imminent storm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Argentina just, the, the, main, the, main, the main point I think is for Argentina to just go for it instead of speculate. Which, in fairness, I mean, that's what they have done at least in the first 20, 30 minutes of each game. But uh, Brazil should not be the exception because if they don't, as you said before, I mean, if, you, if we try to, to, to play uh, a kind of game that we've never been good at, we will, we will pay cost. It will be costly for us. Yeah, Argentina's best chance is to make it chaotic, right? If Brazil have been holding opponents at arm's length and looking calm and controlled and imperious throughout the tournament. Argentina need to get in their faces and fuck some shit up, yeah? Yes. A bit <laughs> of chaos would not go and miss it all. So before we move on to listeners' questions then, the big question is, are they going to succeed in doing that? How you do they decline to answer? I decline to answer. I am indeed going to ask for predictions. Ah, oh, come on. So take the pressure off, Santi, and to give you a chance to warm up first, let's go for, how do we think that the third place playoff is going to, to go, first of all. Um, oh. Personally, I'm going to go for Peru to repeat the win that they had in the group stage over Colombia. Um, I think it should be a good game, by the way. You know, normally the third place playoff is obviously the match that nobody wants to play and that uh, an awful lot of people don't really fancy watching. But if you are going to watch a third place playoff, it's always worth making it the Copa America third place playoff. Um, it was eventful enough in 2019, right? Indeed it was, yeah. 
so I, I think the Peru are going to take. Would it be their? I've not actually looked this up, but it, 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 they definitely got yeah, third they in got, at least one of their previous semi. Yeah, 2011. 2011, they beat Venezuela. But were, were was, they just? Oh, was that that game? 2015, I think. 2016. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the two, I think. Yeah, not yeah, at least semi-finals. Really? Did they play semi-finals in 2015 against Chile? In Perhaps? either 2015 or 2016, definitely. No, 2016 was uh, USA on one side and then the other, who was it? So, because I, I only remember the, the Argentina semifinals. 2015, Except, there you go. 2015. Yeah, so they, they actually reached the semifinal in three of the last four Copa Americas, which is incredible. And they all got of a very them good are, record in there. And yeah. all of them, all of them under, um, all of them except one under Gareca. Which is, I mean, props to the man. Yeah, they're, they're also the only team, I think I mentioned this last time, but they're the only team who've reached the knockout stage of every Copa since 1997. Yeah, because Argentina, I mean, yeah, I think Argentina did, do not qualify because they didn't play in the 2001. Exactly, yeah. Argentina have done it at every attempt they've had since then, but because they didn't go to 2001, they don't count. And Brazil, of course, went out in the group stage in 2016, thanks to that controversial loss against Peru that we mentioned earlier. Um but yeah, I think that Peru will just drop down one place from their second place finish last time out and end up finishing third. Um, but what do we think for the final itself, guys? I'm going to, I have to admit that having discussed it both with you now for what about an hour, um, I'm feeling slightly less afraid for Argentina than I was, but I still just can't escape the feeling that Brazil are going to win it by. Before, before we started recording, I was convinced Brazil were going to win by two goals, but I, I think they'll win by one still. I think Argentina will score, um, but it's going to be like 2-1 maybe to Brazil. Dan, any thoughts? Sorry, I was waiting for you to, to <laughs> cue me in there. Um, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I'm going to say that it is going to finish 2-0 in Brazil's favour. And Santi, I'm going to have to push you. Look, um, I hate doing predictions for my own team. And uh, the second thing I hate the most is doing predictions against my own team. Because I hate being right if that means that Argentina lose. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've just recorded another podcast, which is the, I think, the rank squad with uh, Santai and Jack Collins. And they asked me this exact question. And I will give you this exact answer, which is 1-1. And we win on penalties. With Emi Martinez trash talking Portuguese because he can, because his <laughs> wife is from Brazilian and Portuguese heritage. And this is true. You can look at really? it. Really? Wow. So he speaks three languages then? Because I, I mentioned exactly. to Dan on, on Twitter yesterday that if England ever end up in a shootout against him, he speaks English. So. Yeah. And he speaks very well. I'm going to eat you. Yeah, no, I have to admit that if he goes as far as a shootout, then Argentina have to be feeling confident, don't they? Especially, I mean, not just for his saves, but also the way that, uh, well, that three of their players hit their kicks the other day. I can't remember who it was yes. now. I remember Messi taking the first and that a couple of the others were very well hit as well. And there was just uh, the one that Rodrigo, missed. Rodrigo Post-Skyed it, but then yeah. Lautaro and Paredes were very well, very, very well taken. Um, not that Brazil are going to be bad at taking theirs, of course, but um, <laughs> Martinez but, I mean, has shown yeah. what he can do. Exactly. On that note, 
let's get my uh, browser up on my phone and let's go to listeners' questions just as soon as it loads. Okay, this is taking a second longer than I thought it was going to, but uh, we're almost in. Here we are. Oh, God. Twitter's doing that thing where it just decides to reload the page just as you think you're starting to read one. Okay. No, not okay. Yes, here we are. Right, AB, Aaron Brown says, tell us a bit more. Tell us a bit more about Brian Romero, however you spell his first name. I know of him from Defensa y Justicia, but not much else. Uh, I'm going to guess that this is a transfer thing. Yeah, of course he has, yeah. I mean, just after Independiente sold him for a million and a half, uh, Defensivo Tisset have sold him once again for almost double that, which props to this great, the, the greatest uh, board in the history of Independiente for another <laughs> success. Come on, guys. Santi, very Go briefly. For the re-election. Very briefly, give us your thoughts on him. Uh, we'll obviously cover the, the domestic stuff in much more detail next week when we will be reviewing the Copper final and also previewing the new league season, which is kicking off at the end of next week. But what do you think of him in a few words? Okay, so I think there is one Brian Romero before uh, being converted into a striker and another after, after that. The winger Brian Romero is very frustrating. He, has, uh, he had very, very little, you know, end product I think he was very skillful and he could make good runs but uh, he had very very little end product at Independiente but then Independiente loaned him to Defensa with an option to buy a very cheap option to buy in fact and under Defensa he was under a proper manager uh, someone called Hernan Crepo you may know him and uh, Hernan Crepo sat with him and told him that he needed a striker and that he saw uh, capabilities in him that could work as a striker. And then he started playing him as a striker. And he became an absolute god with the number nine shirt. And uh, he became, I think he was the top scorer in the Sudamericana that he won um, this year, in fact. Um, and uh, that has led him to independent selling him, believing that they will never, uh, he will never cost more than a minute and a half, apparently. Only for River to finally get him for two million and a half um, as a replacement for Santa Borre, who is leaving to Eintracht Frankfurt, which I really like this move for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, Ren Romero is, has, is a man transformed since taking that striker role. And uh, given how, how River play and how Santa Borre role, how Santa Borre's role was, and the fact that Santa Borre could also play in the wing, as he showed uh, with uh, Colombia, I think it's a really good fit and a really good time for River. His st- statistics are quite remarkable because he's a guy. He's played what? He's played 250 games as a pro, right? He has in the league 41 goals in 201 games and in international competition, 18 goals in 29 games because he's also been scoring for fun in the Libertadores for Defensa Justicia this year. Exactly. I mean, that's amazing. Like, So he scored... Just four goals less in international competitions than he has in the league. I mean, um, sorry, 13 less, having played 170 games fewer. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, international copper expert. That's probably why they signed him. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that is what River like to focus on, isn't it? So, um, Indeed. Seems like a real statement right of in. intent, I guess. Frank says, thanks, gents. What has this Copa done for Lautaro's reputation on the home front? Um, I think it's about the same, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he was already recognised as a brilliant striker. He's missed a few chances, so it that's might it. have put that's a very small it's the same. dent in it, yeah. hasn't it? But it's not going to be um, significantly lower given that he's helped them get into the final uh, Frank adds also my man crush on Matias Saracho is still going strong if he stays at Racing if he had stayed at Racing would he have been part of this squad nah are we sure this isn't Darren Paul in disguise it says here he's called Frank <laughs> too, yeah too, that's why I said in disguise but, uh, I mean, yes, as, no, much I as much as I like Saracho to answer his question I mean if Nacho Fernandez didn't get a look in and I think rightfully so then Saracho should should not either. I think he had a look in, in the under-23 squad, but uh, maybe uh, Atletico Mineiro didn't want him to take part yeah. in the middle of the season. So no, maybe I mean, he has a chance from that point of view. There's what, one outfielder in this squad who's based in Argentina, and that's in Argentina's worst position. I think that's probably, says it all. No, there's also Julian Alvarez. Oh, yeah. Ah, Julian Alvarez as well. Yeah. All right, two. Well, I'm Montiel, right? No, he was That's talking about Montiel back then. Oh, wait, hang on. Now, well, Molina's not... No, I'm getting oh, right. he's he's from, he's Yes, of course he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then Frank adds, FYI, this midfield, just wow. I assume that he's talking about Argentina and not Racing there, but um, who knows? <laughs> Liam <laughs> Kelly, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, is it coming home? Ding. I'm not being fooled into... Uh, I'll let up. you answer that question. That's yeah. for you. That's clearly for you. I doubt it. Um, Lawrence Hart says, although I expect you want both, what would you prefer, an English win or an Argentine win this weekend? Another, now, another question that's for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that Lawrence is not directing that question at Santi, but rather at the two English people who live in Argentina. Dan? Oh, it's a tricky one for me because I've never been particularly bothered about the England national team. I mean, you know, I've, I've always rather they win than lose of course um but it's not something that that's ever kept, kept me awake i know sam mentioned um yesterday when he sent this email around the email around uh calling us for the recording that he couldn't do it yesterday because his throat was in a state of disrepair and, and my throat honestly was um was better than ever um you know if argentina win I'm going to feel it a lot stronger because my partner's Argentine, my, my son's Argentine, you know, slash English. Um, all our friends hear it. And you feel like, I don't know, if I'm going to be as objective as I can, I feel like Argentina, you know, just as a society, probably needs this a little bit more than England uh, after all the shit we've gone through. Um, Do we? I, I mean, think so, I think yeah. I think Englishmen would also have uh, the same the same argument. I mean, you. I mean, uh, you well, I'm talking get... in a general, a more general kind of society kind of way. Um, I think if yeah, I'm gonna sit with that. So I'm gonna be controversial. I'll, I'll probably be happier if if Argentina win and England lose than if Argentina lose and England win. Yeah, and I mean, not to get too heart. not to get too political, but. Um... The, in terms of the following of the national side in the two countries, it's a bit less divisive in Argentina, a bit more. Exactly. Just yeah. unifying, as it were. Um, although, obviously, the current England team are 
doing a good job as far as they individually can do to to put that right um yeah i'm i'm treating this weekend as a bit of a free hit really it's a no lose situation for me because i'm not expecting it <laughs> i'm honestly or a lose or a lose lose situation no no i'm saying no lose because I, I i'm not expecting either of the teams that i want to win to actually win so if one of ah, them does yeah if yeah, either one of them right. does i'm going to be over the moon um yeah and if neither one, of them do then it will be expected uh in terms of what I prefer, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I am English, but I live in Argentina. So, yeah, I, 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 it's very difficult to pick. Um, sorry, it's a cop-out. <laughs> Lawrence also says, has, has a spectatorless Copa America proved that South America, more than any other place in the world, needs and misses fans? Uh, I don't know whether Lawrence is aware, but Conmebol did make a request yesterday uh, to Rio de Janeiro prefecture to allow fans in for the final i'm going to assume that they apparently that that didn't go through the the game will be without fans but the fact that they attempted that just shows you how the sheer yeah the sheer effrontery yeah i mean the fact that they were going to go all the copa america without fans and wait specifically until the final it would have been so so fucking obvious come on man (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, look, see, seeing the crowds while watching the Euros this year, I've, I've not been watching, you know, the Gold Cup or, or the other tournaments that have been happening. But it's been, uh, from here at least, to me, it's, it's seemed a bit discombobulating, to be honest. Um, and then hearing about the, uh, you know, the, the big uh, spreads in, in Scotland after, you know, due to people travelling down, uh, for the England match and so on. Um, I'm not an epidemiologist, but it just, it seems like things are being opened up too much, too quickly. Um, and although, you know, watching football on the telly without any fans in the stands is, yeah, not quite as good, maybe. Most of the matches are just as intense. Um, yeah. And we're not in a situation where we can safely allow people back in. So that's, that's that has to be the main consideration. The other thing that I will say is that after the shootout against Colombia, there were various players who came and said, you know, while everybody was praising Emiliano Martinez's trash talking, oh yeah, but that happens all the time in shootouts. It's just that in every other tournament you've ever watched, there've been fans roaring the in the stands. Jazz, they can't, uh, yeah. You know, the, the pitch side microphones can't pick them up. Um, yeah, so, no, there's you know, so much vitriol against him as well, you know, not just in Colombia, which I, I actually just... Just saw uh, Maluma's post on on, on Instagram <laughs> stories, which is come on. Oh he's, no, he's calling... we upset Maluma. What are we gonna do? No, not just not, not only we did upset Maluma. He just said he was sexist. Ah, he said it was sexist, Maluma, for a bachata singer to call you sexist. That's like, nah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot, man. But actually, that's a lot. But what? That's what, a lot to actually, take. Yeah. But what I actually saw is that uh, there was a lot of vitriol from within, which is like, come on, man. Are you really going to blame Martinez for doing what he did? Are you really going to say he was like, what, unsportsmanlike? He didn't even say anything bad. As you say, exactly. like, this is the kind of things that every player says to every player. He didn't say anything xenophobic or, you know. He didn't say anything. No. I mean, I'm going to eat you. It's like, that's, you know. The worst thing he said is that someone was a, you know, someone was a pussy or something like that, you know. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Um, 
but my, you know, my, my my point was just that uh, if we'd had spectators in the stands, then we wouldn't have had that fantastically amusing moment. Yeah, yeah. let's not talk about what uh, what Chino had said afterwards. No, indeed. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Mazumda says, "Why do you think Argentina's level drops when they find a goal and then regains a bit after the Colombian equaliser in the semi final?" Uh, if Lochelso, that's what they've done in every single game. Exactly, it's yeah, the way it is. As Santi mentioned earlier, right? That's that's what they aim to do. They aim to hit you early on with yeah. everything they've got, and then hope that they score and then settle back. Uh, if Lochelso is good for sixty minutes, Ronnie adds, why not even try Papu Gomez from the bench in his place at all, given his form and his chemistry with Messi? Different maybe, players. I think maybe Lochelso can't do the the defensive part of Lochelso's. Exactly. Um, it's gonna yeah, be it's gotta yeah. be Gomez or Gonzalez rather than Gomez or Lochelso, isn't it? Or yeah. Palacio, Palacio, Messi, yeah. True. Uh, And finally, Bob Roberts says, what does it say about the quality of the play in Argentina's top level league that not a single national team starter plays at home? Well, I mean, this has been true for 20 years. Yeah, for at least as long as we've been doing the podcast, except for that. Longer than 20 years, yeah. Except for Um, that brief period just before we started doing the podcast when, well, no, actually, no, shortly after we started (laughs) doing the podcast while Maradona was in charge and was handing out caps like they were, you know. Lollipops chocolate buttons yeah. or lollipops um, and giving them to loads of players who quite indisputably should not be able to say now that they are Argentina internationals in a former life. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the economy, isn't it? Um, it is what it is, yeah. Um, it's no secret. If you're good, you go to Europe. Um, if you're not that good, you stay in Argentina. Uh, and, and you don't play players, for the national team. Indeed. Yeah, and if you're somewhere between the two, then you go to Mexico and maybe Brazil. you end up like Guillermo maybe Rodriguez play for the national being team, a yeah. bit part player um, without any disrespect meant or shade thrown on the Mexican league. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, the best players go where the money is, essentially, unfortunately. But also, uh, not just about, it's not just about the money, it's just about the level of competition. You know, players also know that there's stuff that uh, they learn in Europe about, uh, you know, positioning, and tactical awareness that they'll never learn in Argentina. No, completely. Yeah, I mean, there's there's this new, you know, generation of coaches, I wouldn't say coming through now, because I think, you know, really Marcelo Gachardo was kind of at the the vanguard of them um, and who, who have definitely taken control in the Argentine league, you know, and now we're talking about Hernan Crespo they're also and, and others. But yeah, also going abroad. No, they are, of course. Because... But the other thing is that then they've not got all of the absolutely newest ideas um, or they're not able to implement all of them in one go just because of the structures that that clubs have in place down here. Uh, so it's slowly, it, it's catching up, uh, which is why I think that overall the league is in a better place than it was in spite of the... Well, we'll talk more about it next week, I imagine, but, you know, the ridiculous uh, league structure and, and the various fusses about how the, the league itself is actually run but Argentine football as a whole I think is in a slightly better place than it was when we started this podcast getting on for 11 years ago um, I'd agree with that yeah yeah, but, that's true. Uh, but yeah it's, it's no big surprise and I don't think it says an awful lot about the quality of the team uh, of, of the league that the national team starters aren't playing here uh, because the same is true of well, I, I was going to say the same is true of most other countries in South America. And I, I realised that actually, no, from you know, my, my uh, research into all of the teams before commentating on them has, has told me that an awful lot of the other teams in the Copa America 
have got a, a considerable presence of their starters playing in their own country. Uh, but but they're not in the final. Precisely. Yeah, precisely. But, but that's yeah, that's due to a lack of talent or the fact that they're just coming through. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I mean the, the fact they're coming through an awful lot of it. You know, you look at teams like Venezuela, of course, who were the, were the most publicly obvious team who were badly affected by COVID. But an awful lot of the other sites, you know, Chile uh, had those four or five players who've got like six hundred caps between them, but then have got an awful lot of others who made their debut either during the doubleheader World Cup qualifiers or during this Copa in the last month and a half. Um, and that's the same for Bolivia. It's the same for Peru. It's the same for various Ecuador. other sides. Yeah. Well, this uh, hugely talented, I would say, uh, uh, youth uh, setup, I would say, from the 2019 Sudamericano World Cup. Yeah. Or just coming through. Yeah, yeah. And, and from Independiente del Valle's... Uh, growth as a as a club as well i think that's going to have impacted them uh, and also you know even uruguay have got experience throughout and have managed to stay largely unaffected by covid but you know they've brought in i mean facundo torres for me was he's one of the young players who i've most enjoyed watching in the cop yeah, I mean, he's a breakout star yes every single time he came on as a sub you were like yes this is going to get more enjoyable now uh it was it was great anyway that was a bit of a divergence but i think that that means that we're done now, for this main episode, at least, as I've already mentioned, we will be going off to record Hand of Pod Extra in a few minutes for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to become one of them, please get over to patreon.com slash Hand of Pod and sign up. Uh, for now, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the final on Saturday. And vamos Argentina from English Dam. Thank you. And vamos Argentina. From Santi. Thank you, and uh, no me importa lo que digan esos periodistas. <laughs> and from me, thanks and goodbye.